I hope everybody got a lot of coffee and donuts this morning, right? You know, I do that on purpose so you won't fall asleep on me. All right, so nobody's going to fall asleep, right? There's plenty of coffee still in there. Good. All right. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 24. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Uh, This is an event that happened right after Jesus was resurrected. Jesus was crucified. He was resurrected, and he's beginning to appear to the disciples. And I want you to begin to see um, some of the things that he's saying about himself. In fact, the title of my message is The Gospel Ship of Grace, and it has a name called Christ. And so I'm going to paint a picture from the Bible this morning um, about Christ and who he is and why he is so important for your life and mine this morning. But it says... Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It says, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So two people are walking out of a village and taking about a seven-mile walk. And while they're talking with each other about everything that had happened, and everything that had happened was there was word, there was a rumor that Jesus has, uh, was resurrected. That he died and he's alive and he was resurrected. And some of the women that morning said they had seen him. And there was a big, um, just all kinds of rumors are flying that he's alive. Uh, that this man, and, and you, you act like you hear that every day. A man died, was resurrected, he's alive, and people are saying that they have seen him. So this is an amazing uh piece of history that just doesn't happen every day. How many know that? This is the center of all history right here. And so they were talking about the events that had happened that day. As they talked and discussed the things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing who he was. Again, don't act like you hear that every day. How many have ever walked along the road a seven mile walk and all of a sudden Jesus shows up next to you, but we don't know he's Jesus at this moment. They were kept from recognizing him. And it says, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still and their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know about the things that have happened in these days? Jesus, I love the way Jesus does this. He says, what things? He wants to know what they're talking about. Jesus got a sense of humor, right? What things? And he says, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him, but but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us this morning. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. Hallelujah. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just like the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning, listen to this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, reveal yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself just like you did to these two disciples, Lord. Father, over 500 people, you began to reveal yourself who you were and what your mission was. Lord, today I pray that you will reveal yourself in the same way to us, Lord. Your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. So is this an amazing story or what? Two witnesses are walking a seven-mile journey... Jesus just happens to be beside him. Somehow God keeps them from knowing it's him. And then at some point he stops and he reveals himself and begins to explain to them from where who he is. He's explaining from the Old Testament. How many know the New Testament hasn't been written yet? The New Testament is not there. He's not preaching the gospel from the New Testament. He's preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. He's starting way back from Moses and beginning to tell him about everything about him from the very beginning. Moses is the beginning. Moses wrote the creation story and Moses said, hey, I'm writing this. I'm editing Genesis here. And this is from the book of the history of the record of Adam. And Adam tells about the creation. Adam tells about everything in his day. And Moses puts it into print. So the very beginning at creation, he begins to tell about himself. You say, well, man, what is Jesus telling them from Moses about himself? Because how many know a lot of people think Jesus was just a man that came to earth, was a good prophet, had taught us how to lived by the golden rule and he was just a man that lived and died and maybe was resurrected some people say and some people say who is this Jesus and today I want to reveal who this Jesus is because I don't know that we fully know I don't think we fully understand this person who is called Jesus Christ and so I want to go in and, and, and first I want to start with a story here because this story is actually what launched me into this message. In fact, I think uh, this is going to be really scary. This comes from the um, Facebook post of Curtis Baker. That's scary. This is very scary. I'm not usually on Facebook, but there was some great wisdom there on that post. So Curtis, I want to thank you for this story, all right, in advance. And it's a story that I had heard and confirmed this story, but you're saying, oh no, what's it going to be? But listen to this story. The night that the Titanic sank in 1912, on April 14th, 1,528 people went into the frigid waters. John Harper, after putting his only daughter on a lifeboat, was seen swimming frantically to people in the water, leading them to Jesus before the hypothermia became fatal to him. Now this man, John Harper, if you look at his background and you know the story, he is actually on the Titanic to go become pastor of one of the greatest churches in America, which is Moody's Bible Church. And so a very good, godly man, a great preacher. And um, But he was seen putting his only daughter, his eight-year-old daughter, 
on a lifeboat, bringing her to safety. And the memories of those who were dying in the waters is him frantically swimming back and forth, leading them to Jesus before the hypothermia became fatal. Reverend Harper swam up to one young man, and I want you to listen to this. Swam up to a young man on a piece of debris. Reverend Harper asked him between breaths, are you saved? The young man replied that he was not. Harper then tried to lead him to Christ, only to have the young man, who was in near shock, reply, no. John Harper then took off his life jacket and threw it to the man and said, here, you need this more than I do. And swam away to other people. A few minutes later, Harper swam back to the young man and succeeded in leading him to salvation. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water that night, six were rescued by lifeboats. One of them was the young man on the debris. Four years later, at a survivor's meeting, the young man stood up in tears and recounted how John Harper had led him back to Christ, led him to Christ. Reverend Harper had tried to swim back to help other people, yet because of the intense cold, he'd grown too weak to swim. His last words before going under the frigid waters were, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I want you guys to begin to think about what are we doing as a church? What is this salvation thing about? Where did it start? Where did it come from? What are we here to do as a church? What is our mission in this community? And can I tell you, Reverend John Harper is doing what we should be doing every day, swimming through the frigid waters of this world and telling people about Jesus and trying to, trying to lead people to a saving faith in this person that I'm going to tell you about today named Christ Jesus. There is a ship and there's a picture that the Bible paints that I'm going to take a canvas today and I'm going to begin to paint a picture of grace from the Bible that we as a church and we as people need to see. Because Jesus Christ, how many know, is the only hope that any of us have. So the first thing we have to look at is why is faith in Christ Why is it so critical? There's a study in theology. If you go to a university and you study um, theology, there's an area of study called soteriology. And that just simply means the study of salvation. So if you take a course in soteriology, you're taking a course in salvation. How was it offered? When was it offered? What is it about? Why is it important? Why is it critical to life? And as you begin to study this course in soteriology, literally soter in the course means study of the Savior. Okay, the one who is the Savior. And you go back and you look at the origins of salvation and you say, man, when did this thing start? And so many people say, well, it's when Jesus was born it's when Jesus lived his life, they began to preach the gospel, and you know, and then he was resurrected. And can I tell you something? It goes a lot farther back. And church, we need to know that because he's the only way to salvation that has ever been offered from heaven. There is, in fact, let me read some things about what's called the pre-existence of Christ. Now, isn't this a ridiculous concept? 
If you walked on the earth and somebody said that you pre-existed, that's an unusual thing to say. But how many know that the whole Bible talks about this person called the Savior who pre-existed his life? In fact, let me read some of the scriptures because this is a unique person. He was 100% man, was born like you and me on this earth, but he also existed with the Father eternally. Isn't that an amazing concept? You say, well, why is this important? Because he's not just a person. He is the God of heaven that literally came to the earth to walk with us and be with us. And what did we do with God when he came? He was perfect. He was sinless. He was compassionate. He was kind. And what did we do? We nailed him to a cross and we crucified him. God of heaven. Listen to some of the things the Bible says about him. Micah 5, 2 is prophesying about him. It says, but as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you, one, capital O, will go forth for me to be the ruler of Israel. Your going forth is from long ago. You are from the days of eternity. That means that he came from eternity to come to Bethlehem, which is amazing. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is John talking about Jesus, that he was in the beginning with God, was God. And all things, it says later, was created by him, Jesus. John eight fifty eight says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking to the people around him. Before Abraham was born, I am. You know how they wanted to kill him when he said that? Can you imagine somebody walking around and said, hey, before Abraham back in 2000 BC was born, I was existent. I was there. I was from the beginning. In fact, he's calling himself the great I am, which appeared in the Bible in the Old Testament thousands of years ago. In fact, uh, Daniel calls him the ancient of days. Amazing. John 17, 5, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is previous to creation in Genesis. We think, well, man, the beginning was creation. There was nothing before creation. Then God created everything, the heavens and the earth. He created the, you know, everything that we see around us. But he says, before that, me and you were together, God. Wow. And now get this one. John seventeen twenty four. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Wow. Colossians 1, 17. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. That's Paul talking about Jesus. John 1, 1, 2. What was from the beginning we have heard, we have seen with our own eyes, we have looked on and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested. We have seen it and we testify. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. They're talking about Jesus. So Jesus preexisted The creation of the world. Get that in your mind. This is amazing. This will blow your mind. But here's another thing that will blow your mind. 1 Peter 
1, 18 and 20 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Before the world was ever created, God had a plan. And the plan was that Jesus Christ, before man ever fell, before there ever was a sin, God said, you know what? Man is going to be saved through a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And we've got this plan before we've ever even created man. How many know that? That's the study of salvation 101, that Jesus was the plan before man ever failed. 1 Corinthians 2.7 says, We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and God destined for our glory when? Before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Revelation 13, 8, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. How many know that God had a plan? And the plan was for us to have a savior. And that savior had one name and only one name from the very beginning. And his name was Jesus Christ. Then he goes on. And the Bible begins to paint this picture of the gospel. In fact, it says in Genesis 3.15. It says, I will make enemies of you and the woman and your offspring and her descendant. Singular. He will bruise your head and you will bruise him on the hill. How many know that's the first prophecy right after the fall of man of one person named Jesus Christ? God had already had a plan. God already knew. God wasn't shocked when man fell. God wasn't shocked when man uh, got into trouble, when man failed, when man walked away from God. God already had a plan, and his name was Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Then he goes on. <clears throat> And he begins to speak to Abraham. In fact, the Bible says, <clears throat> Bible says in Galatians 3.8, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. How many know that God began to speak to Abraham the gospel about Jesus Christ in advance? And so you begin to see, and then today the place I want to stop, in fact, you go all the way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. In fact, Leviticus, it says um, that you need to sacrifice, and what we call the oldest religious ceremony in the world is Passover. And he said, sacrifice a lamb to protect your family. 
He says, sacrifice a lamb for your sins. Sacrifice a lamb for the nation. And then in John, Jesus comes and says, this is the lamb that replaces all the sacrifices that are previous. How many of you know God was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ all through the Bible? And then we stop here in, Noah, in, in the days of Noah. And Noah creates this giant, beautiful boat. The great ark of safety. And as I was beginning to think about this ark, I began thinking about salvation. Now, how many know Noah in his day, God had given Noah a message. And that message was that I had the end of all flesh is very close. In fact, it was a microcosm. They say the gospel was preached in Genesis as a understanding to us that if God destroyed the world by water, that we need to understand that again, God is going to destroy the earth. And so the book of Revelation is all about what's going to happen in the last days and God will institute his kingdom on earth. How many know this? And so it's a microcosm of what happens um, when God's wrath is poured upon the earth and how can we can be protected from that wrath. And so God tells Noah, he says, Noah, I'm going to um, have you build an ark for safety. And how many know in the Bible, that ark, <clears throat> in fact, it says, um, it says in 1 Peter 3.20, it says, in those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. God was waiting while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And the water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I began to see as I began to pray, I began to see God before the creation of the earth And I could just see this beautiful, majestic ship of grace. How many know that God created in Christ a ship that is a ship of grace that's sailing through the history of our world? And you see, Jesus Christ is that ship. That ship was made out of wood, just like the cross of Jesus Christ. God gave him the directions. God built it a hundred years in advance. God had given them instructions and he just had to build it and he just had to get on it. And how many know that God has that same ship going through our history? In fact, it's going through Evansville, Indiana this morning in the preaching of the words all across the city. The gospel of grace is being preached and this ship, this gospel ship is traveling through. In fact, how many know that that ship was built before we were ever created? And when man failed, in fact, I want you to see man failing um, and, and and I want you to see that ship that God had prepared before the creation of the world. And I want you to see Adam failed. And guess what Adam in the spirit seen come through? God's saying, hey, I know you failed, but here's my son. How many of you know there was a ship going right through Genesis? 
ship of grace and mercy and love. And God was saying, man, I know you've turned my back, your back on me. I know you went a wrong direction. I know you've went away from me. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. And you see this thing, man, I see this majestic, beautiful ship of grace that is Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And I see him telling Adam and Eve, saying, hey, come on, you're safe here. And the Bible says that the Lord God made a sacrifice for them and clothed them. In fact, if you're a theologian and you study that, most theologians will say that is a Christophany or a Messiophany. is literally the Messiah sacrificing an animal and covering their sins. Then we go a little further and we begin to see this ship is just sailing. It's saying for all. All who will hear me, all who will come, all who will repent, all who trust in the sacrifice of this Messiah from the foundation of the world, come on this ship. And you see him begin to build it and, and I just see this picture and you say, man, who can be on this ship? And the Lord says, all, all come, all come. You know, drug addicts, do you see the gospel of grace that's coming through your neighborhood? Those who are desperate, those who are poor, those who are sinful, those who have failed, those who don't know their way through life. God is saying, hey, do you hear the call of grace? Do you hear the call of my mercy? Do you see my sacrifice? And that ship is just sailing through. It's our only hope. How many know it's our only hope? The second thing I see in this ship. The ship was very, God was very clear when he said the door of the ark, there would be one door that's set in the side of this ark. How many of you know this is what's called a type of Christ? And the reason why it's so important to go all the way back and figure out who Christ is, is because he said, in his words, he said, I am... No man comes to the Father but by me, John fourteen six. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, John ten nine. How many know that there are not multiple ways to heaven? There's not multiple ways to get there. In fact, Paul uh, speaking, he said, I only pray in Philippians that I be found in Christ, that I be not found with my own righteousness, but his righteousness. How many know that there's no other way to heaven? There is a predestined one that is on his way to heaven and in him is eternal life. And only being in Christ is the only way to get to heaven. How many know that's true? You say, well, how can that be? Because it's the only plan God had from the beginning. He preordained that there would be a Messiah, that there'd be a Christ. How many know there are over 60 prophecies? that are very specific about the life of the Messiah. All the way through the Old Testament, in fact, it said he would be born in Bethlehem, which is very unusual because it's a tiny little hillside. In fact, it's not just Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem Ephratah, which is just a tiny little field in Bethlehem. Okay? Then he would be raised in Galilee. All right? He was, he was a man that was from Galilee, which is odd because that's way up to the north of Israel. So he had to be raised there. It said he would come out of Egypt, which is unusual because they had to flee to Egypt. 
All right. It said everything specifically about his life to the point that you cannot confuse who this Messiah is. It's impossible to be another person. It has to be this person, Jesus Christ, the one prophesied from before the creation of the world. And church, can I tell you something? There's a thing that they used to preach called prevenient grace. The old timers preached it. Most people don't know what it means. But prevenient grace means that God will be calling out through His grace your entire life. Wooing you, calling out. Grace is crying out. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And and church, as long as you got hope in your body, God is crying out, be in me, because the only way we're going to get to heaven, church, is to be in Christ. And every time we're in these doors, that great gospel ship, and I'm using a picture here. I'm not saying he's a ship, but I'm just saying that ship, how many have ever seen a ship pass by? And man, how would it feel if we, all these times it passed by, and every time it passed by, we didn't say, hey, I want to be in Christ. Another thing that we find with this ship Genesis 6.14 says, make the ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and put pitch within it and without with pitch. And what a lot of people don't realize is that word is a very specific word. It's the word kafar from the Hebrew, which means to cover. In fact, all the way through the Bible, probably, in fact, I wrote the amount of times it's in there, this, this, this word is used all through the Old Testament, and it literally is our word atonement. And so that means that uh, God has covered the outside and the inside with atonement, with his blood. And those that are in the inside are completely unaffected by what's going on, on the outside. How many know that God, in Christ, there is no condemnation? And you say, well, man, I don't know if I'm perfect. I'm doing the best I can. I've given my heart to the Lord. But how many know that the Bible says that we're protected all the way around us? God has tucked us in there, protected us inside of his atonement. And you say, well, man, can I ever be good enough for the Lord to love me? And the Lord says, just be in Christ because you're good enough. Lord says, when you receive Christ, when you believe in Christ, when you believe into Christ, when you're baptized into Christ, God no longer sees your life. We're inside of his life. We're in Christ, the Bible says. And so the pitch that was put around literally represents atonement. Can I tell you another thing? The Bible says that when they... Bible says when Noah and his family went into the ark... It says in Genesis 7.16, it says, They went in, male and female, of all flesh, so God commanded them, and the Lord shut him in. I want you to think about that. Evidently, you couldn't shut him in and seal him in the ark unless somebody from the outside did it. So they had to get in, And it was God himself that shut them in the ark and covered the door. And how many know that you are secure in Christ? 
How many know that if you're in Christ and you've received Jesus Christ by faith as the Lord of your life, how many know that it's God that is protecting your life? It's God that has his hand on your life. Church, what a blessing and a privilege it is to know Jesus Christ by faith as the Lord of my life. Because you know what? I'm watching this this world, I'm watching it from that ship that's on its way to heaven. I'm sitting on that great ship called Grace, and how many know it's got the blood of Christ pitched all around, outside and inside. He shut me in, he locked me in, I'm secure in God's presence. And how many know when I'm in Christ, there is no condemnation? Hallelujah. I'm safe and secure in his arms, and God has sealed me in, and all I have to do is trust in Jesus Christ, and I am destined to go to heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that something to be excited? And you say, well, why am I so sure? Because this person, Jesus Christ, died and was resurrected, sits at the right hand of the Father. And that's the next thing that happened with Noah's ship. How many know when God found the safe place, he dropped him down on the top of a mountain? How many know when Jesus ascended from the grave, that he went to a mountaintop with his disciples and ascended into heaven. And he said, when you're in me, exactly what I'm going to do is exactly what you're going to do because we are one and the same. I died and was resurrected on the right hand of the Father. Guess what we're going to do when we trust in him and we're in him? We'll die, we'll be resurrected, and we'll be at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah, because we're in Christ. Hallelujah. And the last thing, hallelujah. It says in Luke, or Genesis 7, 1, And the Lord said to Noah, Come you and all of your house into the ark. <clears throat> this is the first time the word come is used in the Bible. I mean, oh, God says, come, let us reason together. Come to me. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. I mean, you know, all the way through the Bible, the Lord is saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. I want you to come to me. Well, what, what happens when you have an empty ark that is there for the saving of every soul? How many, no, God w- wishes that all would be saved and that none would perish. What happens when you have an empty ark that's for the saving of souls? And he says, come to me into the ark. Where's God at? He's on the inside. If he would have said, go somewhere else, then he would have been somewhere else. But when he says, come into the ark, how many of you know the Lord is in the ark? You're safe and secure. His atonement is all around you. You're destined to go to heaven. And he says, when you are in Christ, how many know the Bible says you are a new creation? In fact, everything that is true about you in Christ is because you are inside Him and you're under His, uh, His protective, um, cocoon. God has got you in an ark 
and he's taking you to heaven. And how many know you are a new creation? You're perfect. You've been uh, justified by his grace. How many know we're floating through a world that the world is about to see the wrath of God? I'm just telling you the truth. We can all sense it. We can all feel it. And God is saying, hey, I'm on a rescue mission. I'm on a rescue mission. How many know we as the workers of Christ, that is our job to get as many as will come. Come to the, the ark of Christ. Come to this ship of grace called Christ and get come aboard. In fact, it says he took his family. He took his family so they would be saved. And I'm going to close with this as the worship team comes forward. I want to ask you, are we like that preacher? Do we believe so much in Jesus Christ as the Messiah that was spoken of before the creation of the world, that rather than save ourselves in the frigid waters, we would give our last breaths to say, believe in Jesus Christ and be saved? Do we understand how important it is that this gospel ship is traveling through? Church, this may be our last day. This would be our last moment. And I'm just asking you, how much do we understand who Jesus Christ is and the opportunity we have today to reach as many for Christ as we possibly can? And I'm going to close with this. My daughter, who's eight years old, she... um. She gave me notes that I'm supposed to use this morning. Is she in here? She's not in here. Okay. She was, she told me this morning that she was going to skip children's church to make sure I shared what she had this morning. And, um, man, I thought about it and I prayed about it and I told her, I said, I'm not sure I can do that, but the themes you have on here is what I normally would preach. And, um, and then I prayed about it and I said, you know what? This, 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 is exactly what I'm going to read. And she, um, you know, this minister, one thing I love about the story is he brought his family. He was a widow, widower. He lost his wife and all he had left was his daughter. She was eight years old. The story with Reverend Harper and the Titanic. And I love the fact that he took his eight year old daughter, took her to safety, put her on a lifeboat and his house I mean, you know, we have to make sure our house is on that ark that is called Christ. It's the only hope for our family. It's the most important question we have to answer today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. Are we taking the care to make sure our family is on that ark? And I'm so happy to read this from my eight-year-old daughter. She, This is her message for you today. My love is for you. We all love you, God. I love you, God. I love you for my mom and dad and my church. I love you for my home. I love you for love. Can I tell you something, church? That's some of the most important words I'll ever read. She writes it on my driveway in chalk. She writes it on everything she gets, and this is her message. And if you'd stand to your feet this morning, I just want you to think about that. That's love. Love and understanding how much Christ means to your family and our lives. Church, we have no hope without Christ. Christ is the only hope. That ship is one day, if we don't find the Lord, one day that ship is going to sail. 
have no hope. But right now, she's glorious. I mean, can you see how glorious she is? She's crying out on every street corner to every drug addict. She's crying on every street corner to every hurt person, every abused person, every person who uh, just needs somebody to love them, every orphan. You know, the Lord is just crying out this gospel ship. And guess what, church? That's what we're here to do. We're here to be in the frigid waters of this world and win as many as we can. It's not about a beautiful building. It's not about all the things we think are important. It's about telling them about this gospel ship of grace that is crying out, come to me all you are heavy and heavy laden and I will give you rest that's where it's at church hallelujah if you just close your eyes this morning I just want to ask you Frank can you turn the lights down I don't want to put anybody on the spot here I just want to ask you this morning just think about your life Are you in Christ? Are you on that ship on your way to heaven? If you're not, you say, man, you're going to embarrass me, aren't you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I turn down the lights because I want you to think about your life. You say, well, man, what if I'm not right with the Lord? Church, there's only so much time. I just want to ask you this morning, if you're not right with the Lord, today is your day of salvation. You say, well, man, how do I respond? You can pray with me this morning. You can find me when everybody leaves. You can talk to me and we can schedule an appointment. I mean, oh, there's lots of ways to do it. But I want to lead you to Christ. I want you to be in Christ. I want you to know where your future is at. I want you to know that you're in Christ and you're safe all that's around you here. I want you to get right with the Lord this morning. And church, if you're a Christian and that's not what your life is about, how many know we need to be like Reverend Harper? We may not be in the middle of the water, frigid waters, but we are here to win the lost. How many know that? That's our number one priority, our number one responsibility, our number one mission as a church. And so I just want to I just want to open this altar up. We're going to worship for a little longer. If you need prayer, I'm here for you. Here now, here later. Just take a few moments. Hallelujah.
things that we have to work out because we need Christ in our life. We need to be in Christ and we need to know where we're going. We need an assurance that we're right with God. And church, can I tell you, that's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for as a pastor. That's what so many people live for in this congregation. And So I want to encourage you. It is okay if it's complicated. But in Christ, it's really simple. And so if you need somebody to talk to, I'm always available. If you want to talk after the service, you want to say, Chad, I can't do it now, but I want to do it later. You know, let's make an appointment to talk about, you know, your relationship with Jesus Christ because everything. It's the most important question you'll answer in your life and it's the most important question for your children's life. How many know when we do a funeral, it's the number one thing? And I'm just being totally straight with you. It's the one question everybody wants to know if it was answered. And so I commit to you today, that's what we're here for, to help you get over whatever's keeping you from Christ. He's saying, come, come, come to me. And you say, well, I'm bad. And he's still saying, come. And you say, well, man, I'm the worst. He's still saying, come. And you say, well, no, you don't know, Chad. He's still saying, come, come. Let's make it white as snow. There's no sin that can keep you from Christ. He will forgive you. He will heal you. How many know that? How many have experienced that? Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you and uh, we celebrate you, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, that you are our Savior, Lord. Lord, we have nothing to fear, Lord, in this world. We're safe and secure in your arms, Lord. Lord, bless your people. Let them know that. Let them know about your goodness and your love, Lord. Lord, I pray against everything that keeps them away from you, Lord. Lord, that they would just come to you, Lord. Lord, bless your people as they leave, Lord. And uh, bring them back into your house, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah.